This is the Jerry Callahan Podcast. All right, well, it is October 2nd, and we've got our first October surprise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess we're not through with them, but it is. it was a big one. That's why we're here with you on a Friday with a bonus Callahan Podcast, because last night at... I believe 1254, the news broke this morning at 1254, the news broke that Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, tested positive for the coronavirus. coronavirus. So did his wife, the First Lady. So did uh, Senator Mike Lee, all after Hope Hicks, the the lovely uh, assistant to the president, uh, aide to the president, uh, tested positive a day before. I heard Trump on with Hannity. It was a little awkward. He didn't really come out and say, he didn't have energy, first of all, which is a little strange. And he was a little, you know, confusing talking about Hope Hicks and testing positive and, you know, hopefully she's fine. And he tested, he said, but he hasn't got his results back and he was waiting and he did sound anxious. Like he did feel like he was a little bit nervous about it. And I guess that's because he was feeling some of the symptoms. That's what we're told. Mark Meadows said that today, that he feels some symptoms. Um, it was a bombshell. It was a, a, a political, politically, it was a gift for Joe Biden. Joe Biden handled it with uh, class, wished, wished Trump's, wished the Trump's well. Can't say that about everybody on his side of the aisle. And we'll get to some of those uh, tweets and comments and get to uh, the lovely Joy Reid and her theory on this, uh, on this illness. But it's a bombshell because... Trump, he, you know, it's he never said it was a hoax. That is a lie. That is a lie they keep spreading on CNN. Don Lemon said it like five times last night that he called it a hoax. He never called it a hoax, but he did downplay it. He did say it would get through it. He did say it's not a big deal for most people, which it isn't. But it is a big deal for 74-year-olds who are overweight, perhaps even obese. That makes him vulnerable. So it's not just, boom, like some college kid gets it stays in his dorm room for a week and he's fine. It's not like that. It might be like that for, you know, Flotus. It might be like that for Hope Hicks. It's not like that for Donald Trump. Anyone who says it is, is just being delusional. There is some anxiety. There is, I mean, I am nervous for the man. I hope he pulls through, but here's my analysis. This is it. This is the election. This is the next four years. I mean, this is We've been told the biggest election of our lives, and I believe it is. We have, you know, one guy who want, who loves this country and who wants to make it great, keep it great, and you know wants the, you know, the the economy to come back roaring. You know, wants to get kids back to school, wants to get everyone back playing sports, and you know wants to get people back to work. And then we have we have the doom and gloomer on the other side, Joe Biden, who wants to stack the Supreme Court, who doesn't. Uh, you know, who, who wants to raise taxes, who uh, wants to probably keep up our endless wars. I don't know. Wants to uh, add four senators, two states. I mean, wants the Green New Deal, just wants to fundamentally transform the country, wants to continue to uh, aid and abet Antifa and Black Lives Matter who are destroying our cities. Anyway, it's a very big choice. It's an existential choice, if you will. And it's all going to come down to this one thing. How does Trump get through? How does he come out the other side? If Donald Trump in 10 days, 12 days is in the hospital, if he's in the ICU, like, like uh, Boris Johnson was, if he's 
in on a ventilator, like probably like Herman Cain was at the same age, then Biden wins, the country changes, then the Supreme Court is gone, then your taxes go up, the stock market goes down. It's that simple. If he win, if he comes out in 10 days and he's bouncing around or, you know, full of energy as he often is, then the perception changes dramatically. The perception is that it's not that bad and we're probably going to be okay. I mean, it's, it's not going to devastate the country. A 74 year old man who is almost obese, I believe he's one pound short of obese, just came through it with flying colors. If that's the look, if that's the perception, that means Trump wins. I'm going to go on record. That's my prediction. If he comes through this in two weeks and he looks and sounds good, full of energy, full of life, he wins. If he doesn't, he loses. We all lose. It's that simple. I think he put himself, he's getting ridiculed by a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of blue check marks. I mean, I don't know who lots of these people are. A, uh, a spokesman for, for spokesman for Hillary Clinton, Zara Rahima, tweeted, I hope he dies. Max Berger, uh, Liz Warren staffer, same thing. They're all wishing him the worst. Uh, Joy Reid, Linda Sassour, they're not even pretending. They're, they're, they're happy about this. They're hoping he ends up on a ventilator. They're hoping he has a mighty struggle and it affects the election and there are no debates and people just feel better about voting for Biden. But I'll, I'll say this. He put himself in this spot in one way. He mocked Biden. He, he mocked Biden for wearing a mask during the debate, which was dumb. Not as dumb as mocking him for his class rank in law school. That was dumb. But he mocked him for wearing a really big mask and for doing it when no one was around him. Now, I understand it probably doesn't matter. Masks are, uh, you know, probably more of a look than anything, but it didn't make any sense. It didn't serve any purpose to mock Joe Biden uh, for wearing a mask. I I understand that you want the perception that you're not afraid. And I, I don't think he is. Trump feels invulnerable. He fe- he honestly felt like he wasn't going to get it, even though he did occasionally wear a mask and keep his distance. I bet he, in his heart, he thought, I'm not going to get it. I don't get it. I'm never sick. You know, I don't, he, he feels that way. That's part of his personality, part of his charm. He feels 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Well, when, now we know he's not. Now he got the virus. Now he's probably on hydroxychloroquine and zinc, and we'll, fee- we'll find out how that works. But if it works, and it's great, and he's good, and he bounces back, and he's leading a rally in two weeks somewhere in you know Minnesota or Michigan. That's going to go a long way to uh, making him look just like a more healthy, strong guy, full of stamina than frail old Joe Biden. And of course, you got two more debates, whether they're on Zoom or not. They will be big. They will be huge factors in the election, which is 30 something, 32, 33 days away. But, uh, they got, they got me out of bed. They got me back in front of the microphone to do a um, podcast. And they got us to reach out to our friend, Jordan Schachtel. We've had him on before. He's a journalist and he is a, a reporter who studies this, um, this virus, these lockdowns tweets about it a lot. If you follow him, you know, he's very passionate. He's a, He's a team liberty guy, not a team lockdown guy, but he knows his stuff. And he's just the guy I wanted to talk to today on this special edition of the Callahan podcast. 
Jordan Schachtel. Hey, Jordan. How are you? Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. What's going on, my friend? I know you're a busy, busy man. I appreciate you taking a few minutes. As I said in my tweet, no one talks, tweets, reads, writes more about the virus. And you've been a great follow. We talked to you months ago about the virus. And here we are, uh, whatever it is, six months later. And it is a wild, wild day. The president and the first lady both testing positive last night. I guess my first question, because I'm I'm on Twitter like you are, seeing just all the nuts coming out of the woodwork. Do you think if the president had been had been a mask fanatic, if he'd worn the mask everywhere and anywhere, would he still would he be okay today, or would he still be uh, positive for the virus? I mean, what the what the studies show around the world is that the masks do not stop the spread of the virus. There's no sample anywhere in any continent you choose where you can show a, a correlation even loosely between mask wearing and, and stopping the spread of the coronavirus or reducing the spread or reducing symptoms. Um, you know, there's plenty of people in the United States, plenty of politicians, including Governor Northam in Virginia, where I live, who's, who's a, a maskaholic, and he tested positive for COVID-19. So why is it only when people who are kind of, you know, the president's kind of back and forth about the masks, why is it that only people who, you know, who, who aren't convinced about the science behind masks, which there, there isn't any really, are, are the ones being blamed for, for catching a super infectious virus that spreads basically the same way as the cold? I mean, people don't get blamed when they catch a cold, right? So why are, you, why are people being blamed for catching this particular coronavirus. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's, it screams of political opportunism. Well, it's become accepted now. Obviously, there are mask mandates. One of the the favorite to be our next president says he's going to implement a mask, a national mask mandate. You can't you know, go outside. You can't go to the store. You can't do anything without a mask, without being shunned. If not, you know, arrested. If you go to a kid's football game, you might get tased and dragged out if you don't wear a mask. Where does that acceptance come from um i follow you and a bunch of other people and i read as much as i can maybe not as much as you but i've never seen the definitive study or the definitive word that wear a mask you won't get sick so where did where did how did we get here well a lot of people don't know this but it actually um you know in addition to the lockdown stuff that you saw that came out of china first the mask stuff came out of china i mean the first the first big leader to start wearing masks and not like, you know, sophisticated N95 masks or anything like that, just like your basic ear loop masks was the president of China. And he was wearing that to kind of like show solidarity in that it was, you know, symbolic in a sense. And we've moved from this, you know, masks being a symbolic, uh, you know, symbol of like, you know, pretending that people are doing something to it becoming this like flat earth scientific approach. Um and I think that a lot of it is just pure political opportunism. People want to be seen as doing something to stop the spread of a virus. But people still don't won't accept the reality that, you know, the virus is going to spread no matter no matter what we do, uh, you know, pending some incredible vaccine. It, it's just the reality of the situation we're dealing with. So masks, uh, lockdowns, none of these restrictions have worked. I, I, it is amazing in, in Boston, you know, three, four months ago, you know, most people weren't wearing them. Now I go running alone 
and and people are giving me dirty looks because I'm not masked up or I walk my dog at you know 10 o'clock at night and people like crossing the street to avoid me because I'm not yeah. masked up. It's insane. But let's get back to uh, POTUS and FLOTUS. Um, how do you think this plays out, Jordan? Uh, he's uh, obviously Mark Meadows, chief of staff, spoke already, said he's got mild symptoms, but he's in good spirits. He's got energy, as always. We, we saw him last night. Obviously, he'd already um, gotten the virus. He went on with Hannity. He did the uh, Al Smith dinner in New York remotely. He did peer, He did to me appear a little bit lethargic by his standards, but give me your guess on the next 10 days. Will he be uh, just zooming a few speeches or rallies and, and, and maybe meetings, or will he be out in public distancing and masking? I mean, how do you think he handles it in the next 10 days to 14 days? Yeah, I could totally see the president committing to the to the White House quarantine or if he wants to fly to his residence in Florida. Um, I, I could I could just see him kind of riding it out there. And, you know, he likes to get out in front of a camera. So I'm sure he's going to be delivering addresses. Um, and, you know, it's, it, the president is not uh, unique in catching COVID-19. Many other world leaders, you know, Boris Johnson in England, uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, uh, you know, several uh, European leaders have have caught and recovered from this virus, and you know the president has access to the best medical care in the world, and and we kind of know that uh, people are people who are more threatened have several you know comorbid conditions, uh, and the president you know if you believe his physicians is in very good health, and you know there's no reason to believe that he can't you know recover rather quickly and get back to his regular schedule. I think in the meantime. Uh, you're going to see from the GOP, they're really going to focus on the Supreme Court um, nomination of Amy Comey Barrett, and they're going to start to push that stuff while the president's you know, sidelined for a little bit. So it, I think- it, it, it's going to be wild because yeah. uh, obviously you know, uh, Chuck Schumer and other Democrats are going to try to delay saying we can't hold hearings. They're just going to try to drag it out till election day or beyond. And, and Mitch McConnell is going to say, let's do it remotely. And we already know Amy Coney Barrett tested negative. So it will be a wild, you know, fight to the death for the, for this nomination. Hopefully she prevails or, or, you know, the, the Mitch McConnell prevails, but um, you mentioned Cobor, but we, we know that it's most likely he'll be fine. Uh, you know, I've, you've certainly tweeted out the data, and the uh, charts and graphs and the most recent one was pretty eye-opening. The death, the mortality rates, the most recent mortality rates, and obviously under 40, it's like 99.9, and it goes down from there. But 70 and over is 94.5, the the chance of surviving. And he's obviously over 70, 74. He is overweight. He says he's just under obese. Is that a comorbidity? Clearly, it's a, a risk factor. Is he a high-risk guy? I mean, not a smoker, not a drinker, seems to have plenty of energy and stamina, doesn't have uh, you know, diabetes. Does the weight make him uh, a high-risk guy? Yeah, I, I think that you know, it, it certainly shows up in the data as, as a risk factor, but the majority of people in the United States who are dying from uh, from or with COVID-19 are, you know, clinically established to be basically in their last year of life. And, you know, this, the president is in a different situation because, you know, there's some other people in his age bracket who may 
you know, because he's in his mid seventies and, uh, you know, the average age of the uh, average lifespan in the United States, you know, a little under 80 years old, that a lot of people, you know, unfortunately at that stage of life have very serious conditions like late stage cancer or, you know, the people in the nursing homes uh, who aren't expected to live more than uh, a lot of a few months. So they kind of get thrown into this group where you have this, you know, 95% survival rate. So when you bring in the president of the United States who has access you know, to incredible health care, of course, and who doesn't really have a history of serious issues, you know, any type of cancer or, or you know, something that's really inhibiting him. You know, this is the guy that has the dragon energy. Right. So right. Uh, I, I don't think that people should be particularly alarmed just because he's a little older and might be overweight. I don't think that, you know, this virus has really established itself as a killer virus unless it's for people you know, who are severely compromised. What does uh, catching it early mean and what will the treatment be? Will he get back on hydroxychloroquine? We know he was on it a few months ago. Do you think he's back on it and, and the zinc and that, uh, and that treatment? Yeah, that would be my guess is that he's definitely back on it. Um, he was using hydroxychloroquine and the media was, you know, laughing at him about it, but it seems to be working as like a prophylactic approach. And, you know, he, he didn't get it while he was traveling around the world. I think, you know, it's good that he caught it early because he'll be able to just kind of like, you know, rest and heal up. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm not a doctor, but he's got great people around him who will, you know, get him up to speed as soon as possible. And, you know, the left is trying to say that he's, you know, they should basically 25th Amendment him and all this craziness. Right. And I think that it's going to be their worst nightmare when he recovers. And, you know, they all these people wishing death upon him are going to see him. In, in good spirits uh, and high energy pretty soon, we might get. Well, that's my my take on it, Jordan, is uh, the election has just been decided by the virus, which is appropriate in 2020 because if he doesn't bounce back, if he, he appears lethargic, if he ends up on a ventilator, and by the way, answer me this, didn't Boris Johnson end up on a ventilator? No, Boris Johnson was in the in the ICU, but he was he, he was not put on a ventilator, uh, luckily, because those do not usually result right. in success. So. so he was in ICU. So I'll put it that way. I'll use that. I'll use that. If Trump ends up in the ICU, if he looks you know haggard and, and sluggish when he comes out, he loses. If he bounces back and we see him 10 days from now, just leading rallies full of life, full of energy. Then it will be the perception will be, wow, he was right. It's not that bad. And you will appear to be, you know, overly cautious or paranoid if you're hiding in your basement in Delaware. So you'll have a different image of both guys if he bounces back strong. If he doesn't, then it, it's a big advantage to Joe Biden. Yeah. And not only that, you know, putting aside the politics, you have this individual liberty element that it's kind of terrifying to see how they would try to monopolize that situation. So, you know, for hoping for the president, of course, but the, the even bigger picture is for, you know, freedom in America to, you know, make our own choices and get back to our normal lives. And if the president, you know, recovers quickly and, you know, is back on his feet and you know, presenting energy and health, I think that will be great um, in terms of, you know, America getting fully back on its feet and back to a real normal situation. Right. And you could have, you could have him and his wife and Hope Hicks and Mike Lee and all these people are testing negative uh, positive in this current wave. If they all bounce back and in two weeks when the campaign is, you know, reaching the end and, and, and everyone has just got the pedal to metal and here these guys are full of energy. 
it'll have a feeling like, man, you know, I guess it's not that big a deal. And guys like Jordan Schachtel were right. You, you thought months ago that a vaccine was almost pointless because the virus was going to play itself out one way or the other. Do you still feel that way? And do you think there's any chance a vaccine appears before election day and changes everything? Yeah, I don't think a vaccine is going to appear before election day because they're having issues with a lot of the, you know, the trials and there's so much politics in play um, on both sides of this vaccine debate. Um, you know, the reason why I thought the vaccine wasn't necessary, and I still believe it for the, for, for the vast majority of Americans, I don't think a vaccine is necessary. But if you're in, you know, this very, um, if you're in this elderly age bracket and you are very vulnerable, then sure, vaccine. But in terms, my opposition to the vaccine was, you know, to mandate it, of course, or to, to make, you know, people who have a 99.999% chance of recovery if they get the coronavirus to take this, this uh, you know, warp speed vaccine, the, the cost benefit never really made sense to me. So that was, that was I'm not, I, I'm totally in favor of, of vaccines in, in general, you know, if they work, of course. Um, but my concern is that, you know, people were, were waiting around, uh, you know, locking down their countries, waiting for a vaccine for a, for a virus that for, you know, 99% of the population isn't particularly impactful. So that's why, like, from a public policy perspective, uh, I was really, uh, and I still remain really opposed to, you know, the, an idea that a country should be should be locking down its citizens, taking its economy uh, for such a non-lethal virus. And And what, if there's no vaccine... At all, and we know many things. There's no vaccine for you know HIV. But what if there is no vaccine? It, it fails. How does it play out? How does it end? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that you know these these public health folks in government and then the private sector are going to attempt to like terrorize people into this you know so-called new normal. But what people really have to realize, you know, if the vaccine doesn't pan out is that it start, you got to start to just, you know, living your life again, like living your life like it's, um, you know, the flu season comes around and we don't shut down for flu season. And although we do have a vaccine for flu, for the flu, you know, some, it's usually less than 50% effective. And somehow we've managed to continue to go to, you know, basketball games and football games in the winter um, without, you know, mass hysteria. So I think people are just going to have to realize that this is a virus among many other viruses that are out in the wild and it's just something that we have to deal with as human beings. You know, we cannot, we can't be protected from everything forever. You know, that's just part of life. Uh, if you live your life, you know, trying not to die your whole life, you're just going to be a miserable human being. And I think a lot of people are slowly, hopefully coming to realize that over the past year. But you have been saying this for months, uh, you know, five, six months. I've been saying it. I'm, you know, I'm reading you. I'm reading you know, all the usual Alex Berenson's and Phil Kirpins and all these guys. And it's obvious to me that you know, lockdowns don't work. We know we've seen what happened with Sweden. We see the states like like Georgia and Texas and Florida are doing better than than New York and New Jersey, Massachusetts. Why are these people still? Why is there still a team lockdown? Why are people like still listening to Andrew Cuomo and and Charlie Baker and these lockdown fanatics when all the evidence shows that the lockdowns aren't working or don't work? Well, I think that the the past, you know, since March has showed us that fear is such a powerful motivator. Right. Uh, and you were talking about your experience going on runs. And, and you know, I've had the same experience uh, in the D.C. area running in the morning where, you know, I'm exercising without a mask. 
and people are, are, are so scared that they're, you know, rushing, if they're not wearing a mask, they're, you know, rushing through their, their pocketbook or their pockets, you know, to, to throw a mask on, like it's going to protect them. And people have been terrorized by, by malicious um, hack politicians and government scientists into believing these falsehoods. Um, and they just kind of, you know, point to their credentials like, oh, I'm the head of the CDC. I'm the governor of New York. I'm right. You need to do this or else, you know, your 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 relatives are going to die. Right. And, and this 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 primary fear uh, is such a powerful motivator for people, unfortunately. And it shows you that, you know, you have to be very careful about this because you can just slide right into this tyrannical state, you know, that New York is in and that DC is in here. I mean, there's so many restaurants and bars in DC that are, that are shutting down forever. And I'm sure it's the same in every, every major big city where, you know, you have these edicts from politicians. Uh, it's, it's just a very sad state of affairs. Well, yesterday or two days ago, the news came out. The prediction is they'll lose half the restaurants in New York city, which is over 12,000, which means Cuomo will actually kill more restaurants than elderly citizens. Because uh, I believe the estimate was 11,000 senior citizens that he killed. Uh, and yet his popularity numbers, is, his approval rating is still high. Charlie Baker's is still very high, even though he's destroyed the economy of Massachusetts and, and against all the evidence. I mean, there, uh, the latest estimate up here is 5,000 restaurants will go under and countless gyms and small businesses. And he doesn't care. And people still support him. It's It's nuts. When last I talked to you, I think, uh, I think the Surgeon General said, not only do you not need a mask, but it's bad for you. You know, Fauci said, you don't need masks, don't wear them. And now it's accepted as, as, as fact, as, as scientific, you know, proof that you, if you wear a mask, you won't, you know, you won't get infected. It's just, they flip the switch and people who used to, you know, listen to him say one thing, now listen to him say something completely opposite and believe it. It's just crazy. Yeah, you know, this that's one of the reasons why I got into this space in the first place, because I saw that the media was doing such a bad job uh, of covering the space, and there was only one uniform narrative. So that's why, you know, I, I thought it was so important. You know, I'm, my background is in foreign policy, so this was you know, a pretty new thing to me, but I realized that there was a giant gap in, you know, the way the media was reporting it and the way that, you know, these so-called experts were talking about this issue and the reality on the ground. And then when you look at this, I'm working with, you know, so many great data people and so many people that are, you know, have great credentials in this field. And, and it's astonishing, you know, how difficult it is to get their work out, you know, what out there, whether it comes to, to masks or lockdowns, you know, publicizing this stuff. So many people have been poorly informed in not only the United States, but across the world about these issues. And, uh, we need more people that can speak out about this stuff. And, and, and didn't you think by now, if you'd be talking to each other, you know, six months later, that it would be different? I mean, it's worse now. I mean, you have one presidential candidate saying that Trump killed two hundred thousand people. Like they, he flat out said they would all be alive. They would all be alive if not for whatever I don't know, whatever the president was supposed to have done. And I'm sitting there watching the debate go, what about Europe? You know, what about Asia? Did they, did they die because of Donald Trump also? It just, it's so illogical, and yet it seems to be working. Yeah, yeah. It, um, Mexico, if you look at the numbers, even Mexico is probably soon going to surpass the United States in terms of deaths per million. The United States isn't in the top 10 
in deaths per million in COVID-19 deaths. So it's not like, you know, President Trump is, is the worst world leader in the world. Um, is the leader of Belgium the worst leader in the world, the leader of Peru? Like there, there's plenty of countries that are doing significantly worse uh, than the United States. The United States has the most, uh, you know, advanced testing system. We, we do the most quantitative testing in the world. So of course we're going to catch so many more cases in all these other countries. And we're still not doing particularly awful. You know, every country is dealing with this. It's just whether or not, you know, it's how you're running the numbers, but there's no way that someone like Joe Biden could say something like that and back it up with actual facts. You know, it's all just political nonsense. Well, I mean, what if you removed Andrew Cuomo from the equation? Yeah. If you well, that's a way to save lives. <laughs> <laughs> if you rem- and, and could you believe him yesterday flat out saying he didn't put coronavirus patients in nursing homes? He flat out lied about it. I guess that's the benefit of being a Democrat. The, the media will not call him out. But I mean, it was pretty brazen. And there are enough people out there saying, I lost my grandmother. I know you. Do. I know what you did. I don't think he's necessarily going to get away with it, but I can't can't knock him for trying. He's just flat out lying about how he handled the the virus, and it seems bizarre. He had other options. He had that that hospital ship. He had the Javits Center, and yet he sent them back into nursing homes and killed eleven thousand people. It's just incredible. But anyway, before I let you go, Jordan Schachtel, let me ask you this: guess, predict how this plays out. This is day one. Of, of POTUS, of Donald J. Trump quarantined with the virus. Pl- tell me how it goes for the next 10, 12 days. And when he emerges, what does he look and sound like? Because I think everything is depending on how he comes out of this. Yes. Yeah, so from past experience, you know, watching some legislators and politicians, I, I think about two dozen members of Congress have caught COVID-19 and none have had particularly significant complications. But I think that it'll be super important because people will realize if the president gets through this, uh, you know, without many symptoms and is back on his feet as soon as possible, I think it'll be very eye-opening for people, even those who are in his political opposition. And that's why, you know, the days ahead are so important. I'm kind of crossing my fingers and hoping that he doesn't have any complications because we really, we really need this, this event in order for us to get out of this, this madness. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm wishing and hoping that the president and his wife and, you know, the people surrounding him recover quickly and, you know, re- respond to this in, in the best way possible, which means, you know, continuing to call for the end of these lockdowns, end of these restrictions, Americans need to get back to their normal way of life. You know, it's done so much damage to our economy, our, our society, um, you know, the way that Americans interact with each other, it needs to end, and this could hopefully, you know, serve as one of those those proving grounds for you know people on on our side who are, are oh begging let's, people to get back to normal. From your uh, mouth to God's ears, let's hope, Jordan, because can you imagine the alternative if he ends up on a ventilator or ends up in bad shape? You imagine the alarm alarmists, the people screaming that we got to double down on the lockdowns and we got to put masks on our pets and, you know, we got to stay inside. It's going to get crazy if he does not bounce back from this. I, I, you know, let's pray. A hundred percent. All right. That is uh, Jordan Schachtel. He is a uh, uh, investigative journalist. And let me get this straight, Jordan, the author of the best newsletter on earth. Do I have that right? Yeah, um, I have a newsletter on Substack that I basically, uh, it's called The Mass Illusion, uh, alluding to basically how the world has been, and Americans particularly, have been propagandized into 
fearing a virus that they really shouldn't be fearing. And, you know, I offer a lot of um, original journalism commentary and would really, you know, be happy if people wanted to subscribe. It's doing pretty well. And I think there's a lot of interest in it, but I appreciate the shout out. Well, I, I mean, you're a great follow on Twitter. Just follow him at Jordan Schachtel. But how do they get the uh, the newsletter? Yeah, so Substack. If you go to Substack.com, you can search the Mass Illusion, and then you'll find it under my name. It's a terrific newsletter. Send it out multiple times per week. Uh, really appreciate a follow. All right, sounds good, Jordan. We will check in you check in with you again every few months because God knows since last we talked to you, the world has changed a whole lot, and uh, it's going to continue to change. I, I I'm pretty sure of that. But uh, I appreciate your time today. We will talk to you again down the road, Jordan. Yeah, thanks so much. Hopefully, next time we'll be on the right trajectory. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. That is Jordan Schachtel. Uh, again, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. He's one of those guys. There's three or four guys. Alex Berenson's the most prominent guy. He's um, he's always on Tucker, and he gets a little more high profile. But Jordan is like that. He's very cynical of the uh, lockdowns and of the alarmism and of the masks. But he is data driven. He you know he links to articles. He He's smart as hell. He's one of those guys that you uh, read and you say, man, why don't, why doesn't everyone know that? Why? I mean, he knows, put it this way, he knows more about the coronavirus and its effects than most of the journalists you're seeing on TV every night or on Twitter. I'm going to guess he knows a little bit more than Joy Reid, who, if you missed it, Joy Reid said, (laughs) Joy Reid's theory, this is a full-time talk show host on MSNBC, fairly prominent, 7 p.m. every night, just got a big job. She's an anti, uh, she's a homophobe, uh, but they, that's okay. They overlooked that because she hates Trump, and she really hates Trump, and her theory is Trump is just trying to avoid the, the next the next two debates. That was uh, also Linda Sassour, close friend of Bernie Sanders, Elon Omar, Joe Biden, prominent Democrat, anti-Semite, Linda Sassor tweeted out the same thing, believes the same thing, that Trump is trying to avoid the next two debates, which is so silly on its face. I mean, obviously, Trump did not want to get the virus. It is not a good look. I admit that. You know, he, he scolded Joe Biden at the debate for wearing a big mask all over the place. It was a dumb riff by the president. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he's not faking this illness, and I'm pretty sure he's not avoiding the next two debates. He A, he thinks he won the last debate, and B, you know, he likes debates. He likes them. He thinks he, you know, that's his strength. And C, by the way, he's losing in the polls, in most of the polls, so I think he's dying to get back on the debate stage. God knows how that's going to go. I assume they will do it remotely. The next debate is two weeks or less than two weeks in Miami with a, in a town hall with a host, I should say a moderator, who used to intern for Joe Biden and work for Ted Kennedy, uh, Steve Scully from C-SPAN. Very fair. Good to see they found another impartial moderator. A former Joe Biden intern will be there to help Joe along this time. I don't think he could ever do as much as... Chris Wallace did, but he'll do his best. And if it's remote, it'll be awkward. It'll be uncomfortable. It'd probably be choppy and clumsy, and it won't be the best uh, way for Trump to to get back on top or get back in the lead in uh, in this race. But maybe that's all they can do. I assume he's going to be quarantined in the White House or in Florida, as Jordan said, perhaps uh, 
for the next 10 days, maybe 12 days, maybe two weeks, which will bring us, you know, to mid-October and close to the election and right in the middle of the Amy Coney Barrett hearings, it will be wild. Man, I predicted a big October surprise. I think we got one. I'm going to make another prediction. We're going to have another one or two or three uh, going forward. Hopefully it's not that uh, the president ends up on a ventilator or in ICU. Hopefully he just stays home like most people do and quarantines and drinks his fluids and watches cartoons or watches Fox and Friends. And he's back in uh, 10 days. But we will see. Uh, That's it for this bonus edition of the Callahan podcast. I guess, you know what, we're going to do these when we have to do these. And this is huge news and it's just getting started. We'll see how the next uh, 10 days, two weeks goes, but uh, thoughts and prayers to the president, to the, uh, to Flotus, to uh, Mike Lee. And of course, to the lovely Hope Hicks. Um, Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks to checking this out. Uh, I'm Jerry Callahan. This is the Callahan podcast. And we'll talk to you again Monday morning. Why am I stopping? No one else stops. I don't. Can I go home? The Jerry Callahan Podcast.